Welcome to Season 7. I'm Kirsty Rice and together with Nikki Moffat, we're the Two Fat Expats. We've been expats for more than 20 years and we have over 12 countries and 6 children between us who've all been born all over the world. We've both worked, mothered, administered and volunteered dealing with all the drama that comes with moving countries again and again. Each week on the podcast, we promise to give you the lowdown on expat life and we answer an anonymous question by tracking down the experts. We discuss our favourite finds, our biggest stuff-ups and we get the best tips for packing it all in. Okay, let's do this. I'm in Adelaide today and Nikki Moffat, you're still in Hamburg? <laughs> still here. <laughs> now under curfew. New curfew provided. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I just feel like, so just between us, Nikki, you know, we were, I, I, you suggested that I download Marco Polo, the app, and I found a message <laughs> from you on Marco Polo. And your instant reaction when you want to reply to someone and you're on video is to to show them where you are. Oh, look, you know, this is this. <laughs> and as I started my Marco Polo message, I don't know, have you seen it? I've seen it after I started it because I'd seen you that morning on Instagram with the snow and I thought, (laughs) oh, man, that looks grim. And and there I was without thinking I've got, you know, the straw hat on because I've been to the beach. It's blue skies. With your sun-kissed face. (laughs) The dog's all wet in the background. And I'm like, hi, you know, it's a beautiful day here. And then, of course, you're thinking, Oh God, no, don't, don't say that. And then you try, then you sound worse because I'm I'm then saying, but you've got summer coming your way. Um, it's just like, oh God, and I don't know how this works or how to erase this or what to do. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. But you do have summer coming your way. It is coming. I know it's coming. It's got to be coming. <laughs> We hope so. Someone who was uh, now back in Australia but was in Copenhagen a few years ago when we also had an extended and chilly uh, spring season uh, said it did lead to a great and long and warm summer, so hopefully it will do the same this year. So that's what we're going yeah. for. Fingers crossed. But I did say to my husband, bloody hell, look at what Kirsty just <laughs> said to me. I know. I thought at the time. <laughs> because our weather has been so crazy. Yesterday, my husband, or the day before, he was in a conference call, and I'm in the kitchen, and I turn around, and here he's got his laptop faced out the window, and I can see all these faces on his laptop <laughs> on a video conference <laughs> looking at the crazy blizzard we were having. And I was thinking, well, well there you go. I guess that's involving everybody in the call. So just quickly, before we move on to our four fat questions, um, so with your curfew, what time do you have to be tucked up in bed or home? Oh, I tell you, it's really changed my lifestyle, Kirsty. You have to be home by 9pm. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, yes, between 9pm and 5am. So it's really like... Yeah crack down on my partying and my all night raves but I yeah look it's the weather was starting to warm up mm-hmm. uh, and the numbers of going up and so there were groups of people hanging around outside and you know when you hang around outside and you have drinking and all that kind of stuff that's when you lead to 
behavior that might not be COVID friendly. So uh, that's why they implemented the curfews because they, they've got a vaccination push. Finally, finally, Angela's got her hands on some vaccines <laughs> and also the numbers are going up. So we're trying to see if we can stabilize and then, uh, you know, put, be the, put the big push in before summer comes. And what sort of vaccines are you having in Germany? In Australia, we're uh, all over the uh, (laughs) AstraZeneca and and we've all woken up this morning knowing that, you know, nearly a million of us have been vaccinated and that means probably about 70 of us are going to cark it. But um, (laughs) what about you? What are are you having over there? Well, we do, we did have the AstraZeneca. I mean, the AstraZeneca has been on the biggest roller coaster of any vaccine Mm. known to man. So firstly, it was not allowed for over 65s in Germany because the efficacy was shown to be to be lower so that for the over 65s they had the Pfizer mm-hmm. vaccine and the under 65s were having AstraZeneca mm-hmm. and Angela Merkel famously refused to have the AstraZeneca vaccine because she's 66 and she couldn't be a politician she had to be a scientist mm. about it so and then there was the problems with the AstraZeneca and they suspended use of it across Europe, which brought our vaccination program to a grinding halt. And then they decided, no, only people over 60 could have AstraZeneca because they were less likely to um, be affected by the clotting issue. So basically it's really unknown what's going on, but Pfizer seems to be the backup that they've got for everybody in the under 60 group now. So I've got some friends that were initially given uh, because they're school teachers or uh, uh, health professionals and they're originally given AstraZeneca and their second shot will be a Pfizer shot and apparently that is totally planned for and that has been tested and that's Ah. okay so we've gone back to Pfizer and AstraZeneca so they're our two main ones but we are getting uh, Johnson and Johnson in two to three weeks. We're getting a large shipment of Johnson Wonderful. and Johnson, which is one yeah, and done, one and done, as we know. So that's exciting. Okay. So good times ahead, Kirsty. That's all we've talked about <laughs> for two years. It feels like forever, no. but hopefully in six months or so, this will be in our rearview mirror. Kirsty, obviously, I'm moving over summer. Uh, so I just wondered what has been your most successful move for your family accommodation wise. So, you know, when you move, you, you have an idea about what you want, about where you want to live. And sometimes when you move there, (laughs) your ideas are actually thrown out the window because you, you see that the reality is something different. So also, have you ever moved site unseen to a new place and do you always do temporary accommodation first or how does it work for you or how has it worked for you in the past? Okay, so I guess if you're deci- – it, it, it depends on your definition of successful, doesn't it? So for a successful move. <laughs> yeah. So to me, I when I feel about one of the happiest moves I've ever had, it was pre-children and I was pregnant and I spent a long time in a very nice hotel while we waited to find our accommodation. So that was in Jakarta. Now, once you have little children around you, the idea of being in a small hotel room isn't perhaps as enticing as it was when you're on your own, which is why so many families are not coping with quarantine. Uh, So I think... um, Really, if I'm going to be successful on we moved, we got organised, you know, we got into a house quickly, possibly Houston. And 
Oh, and KL. And I think the reason those two moves were so successful were we moved to close proximity. We moved from Jakarta to KL. It's an hour's flight. Um, and when we moved to Houston, we'd moved from Calgary. So, you know, you're really not moving to a massively different place, you know. Moving from yeah. KL to Libya was a big big move do you know in more ways than one Mm. a two-week-old baby two flights the need to sort of hang in Malta for a while to get a you know visa to get in uh you know the whole thing and just such a massive difference to where we went um so I think what makes it successful is knowing that your short-term accommodation is only short-term that even if it's a disastrous it's only for a short while and then you'll be in your home Uh, yes I have moved to many places sight unseen that doesn't really worry me at all Um, I know there are some people that have to have those what do you call those those visits when you go to have a look a look-see yes a look-see no I haven't been able to do a look-see everywhere I've moved but um, that doesn't worry me no, but have you ever moved into a house you've never chosen? Oh, yes. Um, I've been into a house that my husband chose and that was not successful. That was the meth lab <laughs> the, or, or the house that was next to the meth lab. So that didn't work well. That was the pink house where everything was pink, including the interior and the exterior of the house. I believe they called it Californian salmon, but it was pink. It was awful. <laughs> Pink carpet, pink walls, pink everything. Uh, Yes, and next to a meth lab, which we only realised when the police stormed, like literally blockaded the street and stormed across the front lawn and, you know, (laughs) banged down the doors of the people. Uh, So, yeah, I think maybe short term. How is, I'm, I'm guessing this question is around your impending move, which I think is happening in July. Uh, so how is your move going? Are you going to do temporary accommodation or will you be moving straight into something permanent? Well, we don't know. That's the thing. So we have always tried to move straight into something permanent. Like Mm -hmm. we moved to Hong Kong and slept on a mattress on the floor and had a porticot for one night and then had the movers come the next day with all our stuff when we moved from Australia because we had shipped our things in advance. Um, You know, other countries we did it a different way. I have moved into one house that my husband chose alone and it was successful in South Africa on a golf estate. I do think, uh, but I had been to South Africa for a look-see visit Mm -hmm. and so I did know the where the area was are you a person are you a person person that enjoys hotel stays see some people just can't stand them and I am someone who loves them I could do a hotel stay and and my youngest has inherited that love from me you may remember (laughs) he's the child for like his fifth birthday when we said what would you like to do he said I'd like to go to the four seasons Um, so about, about, I have to say, to give him credit, he doesn't care what sort of hotel. We stay at the Renmark Hotel, 
uh, in it, which is like very much a 1950s Art Deco country hotel. And the most exciting thing for him is they deliver the sausages and the bacon and eggs, you know, to your door in the morning. Oh, room service. My yeah. kids are massive fans of room yes. service. Like we now, because you have four children, I think it's different. Hotel stays are different for you because you probably have two rooms, whereas we've always still pushed for the one room situation. And now we've basically got four adults. People, it's not <laughs> ideal a hotel stay in our family, and my husband's all like, "We don't really need a second room, do we? That, that will be fine. Let's just push us all in here." So I don't love the hotel stay. I do see this is this is a close move, as you said, and we are moving. You know, it's a four-hour drive, so uh, for us, accommodation is very hard to find in Denmark, in Copenhagen, and it's very expensive, and it's. It's not going to be, you know, our apartment's probably not going to be as big as the apartment we have here or that we've, we're probably going to have to live in the smallest place we've ever lived mm. in. And that's also not ideal. We also thought that we wouldn't necessarily all be moving together and we are. Yes. So we've got sort of lots of different variables. But what we're hoping is we do get as part of our move some temporary accommodation. So, and as we all know, my husband has an apartment there at the moment, but just sort of a share. He's a shared mm. apartment. So he will sort of move out of that into share into temporary accommodation. And so what I'm hoping is that kids will be able to then go and join him <laughs> and and stay with him mm. and I will be able to, to finish here. So uh-huh. we're hoping to have a little bit of overlap yes. so that we can do that process. Oh, that sounds good. It's very hard having everyone live all together and not, not in a massive space to sort of do all those things. Yes. Um, and so that's the process. And, and I have had some... I've been in the in the new school's um, class list application and love class lists. It's a great thing for schools. I'm, I'm a big fan now. I'm new to it. And I've, on the weekend, a lovely, lovely lady who I just met showed me all around her home <laughs> via FaceTime. And we had a lovely chat. As you can imagine, I was talking more than I was looking. Uh, but it, uh, so, it, you know, we're, we're on the lookout. Yeah. So we hope we can that's find something gorgeous. before school starts yeah. in August. But that's the so plan. I think yeah. it's just, you know, it's just. Would we, would we suggest yeah. then that, yes, service department, for a small amount of time, then quick as quickly as you can into your full time. I, I, I think I'm a big believer in the service department in the area you are planning on moving to. So you can see if you've got it right or terribly wrong. Yeah, I think that's true. If if that's possible, it's true. It's the most awkward thing is always having a service department or a hotel accommodation somewhere not near where you're yes. going to live. And so you're trying to set up things in a new place mm. and you you're having to rush across town or you know and organize yeah. kids and all sorts of stuff and and that's very difficult. But so, I yes. also think Nikki, you've touched on I think the the golden rule is the divide and conquer if you can. One of you goes ahead oh, yeah. and one of you stays <laughs> behind because because your job of packing up that house is going to be so much easier when they're out of it. And, um, you know, the same as if you were to go ahead and get started without them, so much easier. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 
A hundred percent. Yeah. If it's possible, I mean, we've always split because we're for schooling related stuff mm. usually. So I always find less adults involved, the better. And if you can, you know, when, when the kids were little, it was always great that people would have them for a day or two or three. And so you could just get mm. things done inside the apartment or inside mm. the house just sort of for moving. So that's another good tip. Mm. I, I'm guessing. I do. Chrissy, what have you got Sorry, for I me? I was about to oh, say, you know, I've said, oh yeah, most successful. One of the most successful is Houston. But I do remember we did arrive at the service department on the, say, the Saturday and because America's America and everything stays open all the time, the uniform shop was open on the Sunday when we got their uniforms, got their shoes, got their shirts, did whatever. Um, so got up on the Monday, drove them to school, said, I'll be back with recess and lunch a bit later, literally drove to the Target superstore bought, you know, lunch boxes and and lunch items, packed them all, went back to the school, uh, went back to the service department, scratched my head and pulled out a knit and realised I'd sent all my my children to day oh, one of school goodness. all with knits, including me, big enough that you could pull them out of your hair. <laughs> so that night, not only did were they coping with first day of new school, new uniforms, new knew everything. I was doing the knit treatments as well. So, yeah, the, you, you forget. Okay, Nikki, uh, my question to you. I recently read on the uh, Two Fat Expats, in the in the Two Fat Expats Facebook group, that Kuwait will expect all expats to be vaccinated by the end of the year. Um, and I've, I've seen this sort of coming in through the Middle East. And uh, you know, it makes sense. Um, I guess the phrase is no jab, no job. But how will that work now for expats who have severe allergies? Because while there will be some expats that will be anti-vaxxers, that will then be their choice, I guess, of, well, that employer has said, I have to be vaccinated. And if you are an anti-vaxxer, you'll have to make a choice. But what about, because I was thinking my daughter has a, a friend who is one of those kids that is absolutely diabolically allergic to everything and she cannot be vaccinated. Um, and this has affected her university entrance because she wanted to do paramedics and they said you can't be a paramedic yeah. if you haven't been vaccinated. And so she couldn't get into the course that she wanted to do because she cannot have the jab. So are you seeing this in Europe as well? And how do you think this is going to go down? Look, I don't know, but I think, you know, the governor of Florida <laughs> last week issued a decree that nobody can be issued with a vaccination document because that would mean that then people could start to say that you had to be vaccinated. Now, I don't know about going that far. Let's let's not. And for any details I've got wrong, then I'm just drawing a big picture to make it yeah. a little bit funny. So, but what I'm saying is, is that, look, <clears throat> this problem as with your daughter's friend, for people that have, you know, medical conditions and whatever, this is something that they deal mm. with all the time. That, that, and they're already a marginalized, they're part of a minority group and a marginalized community in a way because, because of this reason. And it's like a whole range of disabilities. It's another kind of disability in a way because they, they can't be vaccinated. And <clears throat> I don't think it's going to go over really well, but I think there's going to be. 
the world's going to come to some sort of equilibrium about it. But I think for countries that are going to enforce this, then it's going to have some um, repercussions on people that, mm. that can't happen. I think in Europe that they they won't uh, make it. But but the thing about Europe and talking about it as a nebulous mass is obviously not not necessarily true. But a lot of people are very very keen to holiday, to fly somewhere again. And they are happy to show that they've been vaccinated to do so. Mm. So at this stage, but 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 not everyone can do that. So it, it's like the herd immunity and it's about the more people that getting vaccinated helps everybody else and then it stops the spread of the virus, which is the whole point. It's not, not to, to like... It's to stop mm. the spread of the virus. And so I don't think I'm answering the question very well, but I, I think the answer is is that I think that there will be some, I mean, governments won't necessarily all mandate it, but private companies can. And so um, I'm talking about flying places. So so an airline can say you have to be vaccinated to get on the plane unless you show, you know, relevant doctor's certificates, et cetera, why you can't be vaccinated and then you'll have to be tested and then you'll have to sit separately or pay for three rows mm. or uh, I don't know. Like I, there, there's going to be for a while until the world works itself out, there's going to be people that are discriminated against because they can't be vaccinated or because they choose not to be vaccinated, yeah, look, I think. I think working in the Middle East at the moment, there's a lot of things a lot of documents you have to show, like you have to show your marriage certificate. Yep. Um, you know, all yep. those things and, and possibly, you know, I think America is a really great example, isn't it, because they're so, um, well, not they so. I think in America you quickly learn that people hold their human rights very close to their heart. And um, yes, whereas I think in the Middle East, maybe not so much. You know, it's just like, oh, you want me to do this? Okay, I'll do this. Okay, you need me to have an X-ray to get a permit to live here? Okay, I'll do that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, we had to have an X-ray to go to South Africa yes. because tuberculosis yeah. is the problem in South Africa. So we had to have an X-ray, and yeah. we agreed to do that. But I mean, so, so I, I think Europe's somewhere in between mm. America and the Middle East in that. The, the mandate won't necessarily be there, but there's more conformity. Mm. There's more ability and willingness to do something, to go along, to get along, which doesn't necessarily exist elsewhere. But it's kind of enforced in a way in the Middle East, which it isn't necessarily mm. enforced in other places. Okay, moving right along. So, Kirsty, on the subjects of vaccines, a vaccine selfie, yes or no? Oh, <laughs> yes, I love the vaccine selfie. <laughs> I'll tell you why I love the vaccine selfie is to me they're so optimistic because the more of my friends that I see vaccinated, the more hope I have that I will see my husband again. So I think please, please, everybody, go and get vaccinated so that we can all just get vaccinated and we can all move on because I can't see how we're going to move on without all of us being vaccinated. Um, so, yes, I love it. I love seeing it because I think people, there is an, an incredible sense of relief in all of my friends that I've seen them getting it done. And and I'm also very proud of the people that I've seen get it done really early. Like my the first one, the, my first friend I heard of that was vaccinated was within Saudi. It was a woman in Saudi. And I think, well, that didn't get 
talked about too much, did it? <laughs> that that it was women in the Middle East that I saw first getting vaccinated. Um, but yeah, I love it. And for those friends in the UK who I've watched just do such a hard, hard slog to see some light at the end of the tunnel that, you know, there's there's some happiness and joy. So no, I'm never going to get sick of the vaccine selfie. And there's so many different ways you can do it, whether you do it when you're actually getting it, (laughs) whether you just do your Band-Aid, whether you do your little sheet that tells you. Yeah. What do you think? Will you be doing a vaccine selfie? Oh, I don't know. But in the beginning, I was like, oh, are we going to have to see 4 billion vaccine selfies? And then like, that's, like, that's how I sort of went into it. And then as I've sort of come further into the darkness and the curfews, I have come around to your way of thinking, which is 100% absolutely, it is very optimistic and it is a very positive thing. And I do like that, you know, and, and the vaccine selfie we see now is not going to be the same as the vaccine selfie we see in three months. You know, there's going to be all sorts of things. There's going to be new filters just for vaccine selfies. I mean, there's going to be, it's going to be a whole industry around the vaccine selfie. And so I'm now looking forward to it. So when I first thought about this, I thought it was on the negative, but I've changed my viewpoint because I admit that I'm a big enough person to change (laughs) sometimes okay nikki expat life is a life of constant reinvention we've talked about this a lot a lot a lot a lot a lot it is a real conversation amongst expats that you can move somewhere and just completely reinvent your life and do things and change things you know if you're the one with the work permit there's the new office the new workplace the new commute and if you happen to be traveling with that person that's doing all that maybe for you it's the new career or the lack of a career choice or whatever so last week you may remember nikki i told you i was studying the we said so wine spirits education trust is the organization and i sat down to do my exam and felt completely overwhelmed and i think it was it was maybe a mixture of perhaps not being prepared enough but I did find the subject matter really, really hard. But also everyone I did the course with was experienced. They all worked in the wine industry. There wasn't one person that was like me that was just, you know, there, there because, hey, just I thought, really like oh, wine. Hang on, I could do this. <laughs> and how the course went was, you know, it was it was. Um, full days of study and then when they did the exam they did the exam at the end of a full day of study so I spent that last day of study just going I am not ready for this exam and I am not (laughs) going to remember anything you're telling me right now because I, I don't work this way I need to go home and and reread it and give myself some rhymes in my mind and you know work this out I'm not going to remember this and then the guy next to me because we're doing fortified wines in the last thing says oh yes you know I remember doing the vintage in 2016 when I was in Portugal and I'm thinking oh my god I don't know anything I don't even know the place you're talking about where it is on the map anyway I walked out of the exam feeling very flat and I 
think I sent my sister a note saying, oh, I can't remember, but it was something about I think I'm going to cry because <laughs> I really did feel like I was going to cry and got home and had to say to G, you know, because it was before he'd, he'd left and say to him, oh, I really don't feel great about that. And so it was kind of this, I don't want to sound so dramatic, but it was like this reinvention overwhelm. And then I was thinking, Kirsty, have you lost your oomph? You know, you've had to start new things over and over and over again. Um, I don't know. Do you think there is such a thing? You know, I think you've got to take a few things <laughs> into account. One is you're a parent of four children who <laughs> is in a particular situation at the moment. Um, you've recently suffered a very big loss. Your mother's about to undergo serious surgery. Your husband has just um, had cancer for 12 months. Yeah. Like I think you've got to give yourself a break <laughs> in, in that from that point of view. Uh, um, oh, so, I, but, and I, but I think that, you know, you, you went into it with the best of intentions <laughs> and, you know, in a positive mindset. And let's be honest, you're surrounded by wine and wine people, That's industry true. people. It's not like every night when you're having a glass of wine, you don't have an industry expert mm. across the table who can give you a rundown of the situation. But look, uh, can you lose your oomph? Yes, you can lose your oomph. And, you know, people in our age group are always deciding whether they've lost their oomph or whether they're pushing themselves towards reinvention. I think as you get older, things are harder. Some things come easier and some things come a little bit harder. And, you know, it's just, it's you know, it's, it's a situational thing too. Like there's COVID and there's all the things you've been through. And, you know, so on the one hand, yes, you can lose your oomph. Do I think you've lost yours? <laughs> no. <laughs> and, but there is, Overwhelmed yeah. for sure. Like constantly. I mean, there, there's constantly. Am I good at this? Am I good at like I've I was watching last night. One of my colleagues does something in her spare time that has this that is this amazingly massive. It's it's like a second job, but she, it's just like a volunteer thing that she runs this separate organization. Wow. And I watched her interview someone for half an hour all about NFTs in architecture, and I was thinking. I know what she did at work today. Like I know all the things that she's juggling and yeah. she's doing this, like just in yeah. a spare time. And I was thinking that is a lot. And like she's 25, so that's fine or 26. But but I was thinking, do you can you still do that like as you get older? And I think that's people make choices. You know, you make choices to do things in different ways. And I think that anyone can reinvent themselves whenever they want, but it is a harder thing to do the older you get because you already have so many other things already yeah. that you have to do. It's not about a factor of age. It's a factor of the responsibilities and the mental load that you already mm. have going on. So, yeah, and that's why I think that contributes to the overwhelm. But I, I don't think that overwhelm's good or bad. I think it's there, but I think you acknowledging mm. it is important. And I, I think, because I'm thinking about this, I wrote this question a week ago, right, after I'd done the exam because it was really, it really struck me of yeah. why, are you, why are you taking this so badly? And I have to say, over the last week, I have then now emailed the instructor and said, how do I reset the exam? And he said, well, you, you've, 
can't for six weeks because until we get the results back from London, we're not going to let you reset it because all I wanted to do was go back and reset <laughs> it. And so I have, you know, kept reading the book and kept going and thought, no, you can do this. Like you you do six weeks and do your study and sit down and do it again and you will be okay. But it's that confidence thing, isn't it, of just continually backing yourself that you can do it. Yeah. And and I think what you've done, what you've just said there, shows that you're not overwhelmed, and and you can't, and you can mm. continue to reinvent because you didn't go away and go, well, I tried that. Mm. Gee, I tried that, and then I and then yeah. it was just too hard. So I guess that's not for me. You went back to the instructor and said, how can I yeah. reset this exam? I mean, that's not that's not being uh, giving up or feeling overwhelmed. That's that's being persistent and showing that you've you've got what it takes, <laughs> Kirsty. Nikki. Um. Your favourite things? My favourite things. So, okay, so Kirsty, Kirsty, I'm bringing you the Trash TV, of course. I'm here for you. There's an eight-part series uh, on Netflix called The One. It's genetically possible to find the one. Oh, So yes. the story is about um, three scientists. One is a fiercely driven woman and there is different um and she has a partner and then there's a third person and they anyway they create they come up with this thing that you tested yourself genetically and you can find the one person in the world who you are guaranteed to fall in love with now would you do it would you not it's a whole ethical dilemma and i must admit it's it's there, there were lots of different threads to the story, but it was like a car crash. I couldn't look <laughs> away because it's sort of more suspense and crime than actual pure trashy. So it's a little bit mm-hmm. of both. Uh, and it's sort of it's worth it because, I mean, so basically the premise was that it happens in today's society. And so people do, do genetic testing and find out it's like a DNA database. So you submit your, your DNA to the database and then you get it, you get, you are advised whether you've got a match already on the database or not. So, uh, you know, people are leaving marriages and relationships to go and be with the one. Oh. And, you know, all different parts of the world and all this kind of stuff. And so it becomes a moral and ethical dilemma. Do you do it? Do you submit your DNA if you're happy in a happy, loving relationship? And I'm guessing then Who knows is the that answer. people that that's the dilemma that comes out, that you leave your person to go and be with the one and then is your life better or worse? Well, so one in one case, in one of the story threads, there's a woman who submits her husband's DNA oh. because her husband's, she says to her husband, are you going to do it? And, and he says no. And <clears throat> she says, okay, well, I'm not going to do it either. And he's like, yeah, why would we do it? You know, we're, we're in love, we're married, whatever. He, she submits his DNA and finds his match, and then goes and befriends oh. it, befriends her, and so then it all just goes. You can see where that's going. So th- there's all this kind of, so there's all these sort of underlying sort of threads mm. of the whole situation. So yeah, it, it's quite. Look, it's interesting. It's a car crash. It's probably something your younger son and I could watch <laughs> together uh, because we could really get into that one. <laughs> Um, okay, so that's what. So one of the things, another thing I watched recently is that uh, someone put in the thread on on um, on TFE, Two Fat Expats Facebook group, uh, any good series on Netflix, and someone wrote Queen of the South, and I thought I haven't I haven't never heard of Queen of the South. That sounds that sounds a bit strange. I'll, but 
who am I to question the combined? And it came up a lot of times. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I, I'm in, I'm in, I'm going to go and have a look. And basically it was a, it's a, basically it comes up and there's five seasons. So immediately, you know, well, I'm onto something here because the, if I want to watch it, there's five seasons worth, which is always good. You don't want to watch something that's only three or four shows of it if you really like it. And basically it's about a woman, I think it's a, um, it's a remake, an American remake of a South American show. And it um, shows a female drug lord in the US. So basically she they show her coming up through the, but the, the opening scene is her being assassinated. So basically, you know what the end is in however many seasons that gets to. Uh, but it, it, it then it goes back and says, as she's dying, well, I knew this was going to happen. This is how I knew. And then it goes back to yeah, starting her story all over again. So it's one of those things. So it's I think it's definitely good for going to bed, watch an episode before you go to sleep because it's just one of those. Yeah. You know, I've, there's five seasons to go. I know she doesn't die today, but I really want to know how she eventually <laughs> She eventually gets in that situation. <laughs> so that would be my second one. My third one, which I haven't, I haven't talked about since since I've done it here, but the fact that I did my presentation at the conference, which I talked about for a long yes. time before I did it, and that it, it that I attended the conference, um, it was a virtual conference. I was really impressed um, and enjoyed the whole experience, and. I was worried about my presentation. It wasn't as great as it could be, but it wasn't as bad as it could have been either. So I was just happy with how it all went. And I think that I I need to give myself a little pat on the back because that was one of those things that I spent a long, long yeah, time Yeah, and you on. should <laughs> totally give yourself a pat on the back. On the back. That's that's like going back with that reinventing yourself and doing things that make you feel uncomfortable and whatever. You did it. Yeah, I did it and it's done. It's like my one marathon and one, one, my one mountain. I've now done one conference presentation. <laughs> I'll put that in the done pile. My three favourite things this week um, and last week was Grace Tame, who's the Young Australian of the Year, and I just wanted to give everyone a, head, a heads up yep. if they want to go and have a look at her speak. Um particularly with your kids, if you'd like to see someone young and just so impressive. She did a fantastic speech at the National Press Conference and I'll throw in a um, link for people to watch it. She's just a really exceptional educator. And the more I listen to her interviews, the more I realise that you just have to speak up, even if it's quite unpalatable and unspeakable. Um, And she talks a lot about being a good listener of which I feel that I am not, but um, just really good reminders about how to listen without judgment or advice. Um, So I won't won't go into much about her story, but just to say it is an an incredible story um, and uh, she is a great young person to watch. You can also see her. She was on Q&A, so I'll put that one there as well. Uh, One of the apps that I've downloaded is BritBox, um, which is just full of British TV. I've been watching The Rev, which has been great. And then one of the things, I guess it is sort of one of my favourite things this week, is a story that's come out. And, I, um, you know, Nikki, I've worked uh, with the Barefoot Investor for a long time where I managed his Facebook group and then his forum and have sort of worked in community management a lot. And there's this story about where the New York Times has had a 
their their cooking community has had a Facebook group with sort of over 77,000 people in it that has just become too huge for them to deal with. I think they've had three or four members of staff that they've they've really kind of just cast an eye over this group over the over the years and there's been all sorts of dilemmas and um problems and arguments and whatever online where they've had to go in and put out fires constantly where they've obviously just decided that's it we don't want to do this anymore this has just all got too hard so they are going to hand it over to members who feel that it's something they would like to do and they all they're going to do is just take their name out of the equation and hand the group over and I have there's an article in BuzzFeed about it. There's also been a, a long sort of Twitter thread about it where people have talked about it on Twitter. And it's it's been interesting for community managers to go, hmm, well, this kind of justifies the role of a community manager and and what a great community manager does to control to can do yeah, yeah yeah what they can do and what happens when you don't value community management yeah and but i think this is going to be something that comes up all the time if 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 facebook is in fact here to stay this is going to come up where groups just get you know bigger better faster and then maybe get completely off track um, Nikki, I noticed you yesterday. We didn't have a discussion about this, but you posted something in our group. I thought you were asleep. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, maybe you could give people a bit of a a background on what made you. You posted something saying, kind of apologising for anyone who didn't have their anonymous post um, posted. Um, or dealt with in what you thought was a timely manner. I don't know, maybe this is a good time for us to sort of talk about how that works with Anonymous Post or what we do within the group. Um, we have 28,000 people in the group now, I think, or just about yeah. 28,000 people. And I guess with the timing with us it kind of works because we, we're in two different time zones so you kind of scroll over it in your time zone and I do it in mine we've never we've never had an official conversation about who reviews all the people coming in or going out like I think I tend to I think yesterday I saw we had 44 you know requests waiting so it was a okay make make your way through those 44 and I know that you would have probably woken up with the same you know by the time you got up in the morning or by the time you got to bed so for me, I, well, I guess maybe you explain, Nikki, what, what inspired you to write that message yesterday about what, the apology of uh, anonymous posts? Yeah, so I think basically what I wanted to say was that, that, that so you and I are the same thing. So I, I wrote it, I thought you were asleep, and then you wrote to me and said, hey, what's going on? I was like, don't you sleep? So I, I think what happened was, uh, one, the way we get a monotonous post in is people direct message us, and sometimes they direct message us both, and I, I'm about to post it and I see that you've posted, so that's all fine, we, we do that. But the thing about anonymous posts is that we don't always post every post. Often there's already the information in the group. Mm. Um, often it might be better asked in another way or with different wording or in another group. Yep. And so we we help people find the best place 
to ask the question or we asked uh, additional questions that help add more information because if you put up a post of, we say we will know the first three questions you're going to be asked is this yes is this. so we sort of help people yeah. to create a better post not a better post but a different mm. post so that they can gather as much information as possible um and then sometimes uh, you know things get overlooked so i once woke up at 3 a.m check my phone I know you're not meant to show you that my husband and I have a, I've had a recent conversation about that and I saw a post and I thought I really I really need to post that and it was someone asking me a question if they could get support for something that was a very sensitive topic and I thought yeah that's important and then I went back to sleep and then I forgot about the post Aww. and so yesterday when I was going back through my message requests and, and clearing them I remembered that there was this particular post that someone had asked me to post and I went back and it was time sensitive and anyway I went back and there were some unsent messages so people had sent me a message and then unsent it mm. so sometimes that means that someone has has resolved their issue and that they, they don't need it or sometimes that means that they waited and they thought no I'm not going to do this anymore or sometimes it means mm. that they felt that, that they couldn't get the help here. And the post was of such a nature that I really wanted to let the person know in the group or let all people know that I it wasn't that I was ignoring them. It was, it was my mistake and I wish that I had been able to help them. So I, I think that people trust us when they come to us because it's an anonymous post to the group mm. and we can see what which Facebook profile sent it to us. So people trust us with being able to help them and being able to access information globally about particular mm -hmm. things. So I, I just wanted to, um, to reinforce to everybody that, you know, if I don't get to your post or if we don't get to your post, it's not that we're ignoring it. It could be for various reasons. For example, last week someone sent me a message and they said, look, can you tell me um, about moving to this country or how do you move with children that are this age? I said, you know what? That has been asked in the group a lot. Let me make a, um, mm. a, a unit about that. And I went into the group and I quickly made a unit. And I said, you can now refer to that unit. I said, if you feel that you don't get the information you need from that, we can 100% ask it in mm. the group. And she came back to me and she said, no, look, all the information I need is already yeah. there. So it, it, those situations also happen. Anyway, I, I put that post up. I didn't mean to – I've turned off the comments now because I didn't mean for people to sort of comment on it. But I've had a lot of people write to me and say, oh, I hope, you know, it wasn't my post. And, and I just wanted to make it clear it wasn't anyone's particular post. It just was we 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 created the group as an offshoot of the podcast, but it sort of got a little bit – it's, it's got a bit of a different readership. So some people listen to the podcast and some people don't. And, you know, some people are new to the group and some people are not. So they might not all necessarily know how it works and how it all comes together. So I just wanted to sort of just say to everyone, look, we're here for you. We, we want to do this properly. We, we want to do it. And, and I don't think, you know, some of the posts we often discuss together before we post them if they're anonymous ones to say, you know, what was the best way for wording? How do you think this will go over? Because in a group of 28,000 people, you're going to have people of all different ages, stages, races, religions, viewpoints. And so you th that kind of post has yeah. to be done with some kind of I care, thought, I think. I thought so, you might, I thought you might get a few messages because <laughs> my instant reaction when I, <laughs> I didn't my instant mean. thing when I read it was, oh wow, someone's told her off. Like someone's really sent her a message <laughs> and said, how dare you not post my anonymous post? You know, you need to get onto this straight away, blah, blah, blah. It sounded like there had been 
a conflict. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously not. No, and that wasn't. That wasn't what I meant. What I what I just meant was like it's a complex yeah. thing. It's not just a matter of and you know pe- people brought up oh you know some other groups I mean you know have the ability to do anonymous posts and at the moment Facebook requires you to make that a parent group. So if you make it a parent group, you can ask an anonymous post. You no. know we're not a parent group, so there are a lot of parents no. in our group, but we're not a parent group, so we wouldn't be doing that. And also I think that if anyone, everyone was able to post their own anonymous post, it wouldn't necessarily always have the same feedback as. Yeah. Yeah. they get yeah. now so yeah. i try to sort of yeah. explain that in a different way and as well yeah and because yes when we when we post um anonymous posts like exactly as you said nikki very often they come to us and we have to go back and go so what you're actually saying is because people just expect that everyone will understand exactly their situation and why and how and when so yeah yeah um and yes, I think very quickly people would get sick of anonymous posts if they if they saw all the anonymous <laughs> posts that come. Um, okay, are we? I think we're done, and we're under an hour. We're done. Kirsty's favourite thing. We're <laughs> under an hour. The editing's going to be fantastic. <laughs> okay, and now it's light. When I started, I was in the yes. dark, and now I'm in the light. All right. <laughs> you have a good week, Nikki Moffat, and um, I'll speak to you next week. You too. Okay, bye-bye.